all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Day 193. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. Uh, my name is Keith, and this is a podcast uh, where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so today we're in the book of Zephaniah, right? So we're doing this um, uh, modified chronological plan, and Zephaniah is uh, next up on the list. So my man Zephaniah is a prophet, and he is prophesying in the last decades. I'm going to be clear about that. Decades of the southern kingdom of Judah. Remember, First uh, Kings uh, 11 and 12, uh, Solomon sends the kingdom splits into two halves, northern Israel, southern Judah, right? And southern Judah is uh, the southern kingdom that had lasted uh, longer in the land than the northern kingdom, right? And so Zephaniah is prophesying to uh, the southern kingdom. Now, what's interesting about Zephaniah is that he has, listen, the uh, probably one of the most, um, how do I say it? Uh, the one of the most difficult and strongest uh, uh, proclamations and prophecies uh, in the Bible uh, of God's judgment, of God's justice, of God's wrath. Right. The Bible is clear that those are attributes of God. We talked a little bit about that yesterday with the book of Nahum. But um, Zephaniah is going to go in, fam. He's going to keep it a buck. He just he's a straight shooter. Right. He has to speak the word of the Lord. And what's interesting about um, Zephaniah is his historical context. So he's prophesying in the uh, last decades uh of of um the southern kingdom of judah and he's prophesying uh when king josiah was king so you'll see that in verse one and um in those days uh josiah was trying to bring reform he was trying 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 really hard but the people was just too far gone right and so zephaniah had to prophesy this in the very first verse i'll read it it says this the word of the lord that came to zephaniah son of cushy son of gedaliah son of amariah son of hezekiah in the days of josiah son of amon king of Judah. He has the longest baby genealogy in the prophets. So most of the genealogies in the Bible are not in the prophets, but sometimes the minor prophets will start out with a genealogy. Zephaniah has the longest one. Why? Hmm, interesting. One, he is the great, great grandson of Hezekiah. Go read Second Kings uh, 22 to 23, and you'll remember, you'll see Hezekiah's life. Also read uh, parts of Isaiah, Isaiah 36 to 39, uh, Anyway, um, He's the great great grandson of Hezekiah, so meaning he's in the royal family. He's 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 a um he, he's in the royal family, so he has uh first uh uh, uh uh all access passes to what's going on behind closed doors, right? But, but, but like like with those who are really in power, so that's why. It doesn't even say the vision that came to Zephaniah. It just says the word of the Lord. So my man Zephaniah, he's chosen by prophet, obviously, because he's he's writing this prophecy. But he has firsthand eyewitness account, right, of, of the sins of God's people behind closed doors, especially those in power. So that's very interesting. We'll even come back to that more later. But the main theme of this book, the main theme of the book is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord is this very important concept that runs all throughout the prophets. And it's this um, concept that has this broad range of meanings, right? It, it Depending on the context, and we have to be good contextual readers of scripture, dependent on the context, my G, it can mean different things. In this text, it's clear. The day of the Lord means the judgment that is coming against Judah. It is clear, right? We can go into a whole episode on the day of the Lord later. Um, So he starts off. He gives the genealogy, but look what he says right after that. I will completely sweep away everything. Wow. From the face of the earth. This is the Lord's declaration. Right? It ain't just me talking. I will sweep away people and animals. I will sweep away the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea and the ruins along uh, with the wicked. I will cut off mankind, literally Adam, 
or Adam from the face of the earth. This is the Lord's declaration. What does he do? He gives a reversal of Genesis one. Now, what do I mean by reversal? I mean that he is saying that the judgment of God is going to be an undoing of creation, right? An undoing of creation. Now, he's speaking in hyperbole because God promises a remnant later in the book, but he is speaking in hyperbole to make a point like we do now. <laughs> like I said, Bryce, seen you in a minute, right? It doesn't mean just it's been a minute. It's just been a really long time. But at the end of the day, he wants to drive home the gravity of their sin. Right. And in saying that creation itself will be reversed and undone and brought back to its uh, uninhabitable pre-Edenic state shows the extent to which God is displeased. Right. Sin is terrible. It is so terrible and bad and disgusting in God's eyes that it has cosmic effects. Right. So that's what, no, 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 this is what Zephaniah is saying. And it's, let's be clear. He's like, no, this is for Jerusalem. This is for Judah, right? And he's going to talk about the priest. He's like, yo, the priest, he's like, I'm sharp, bro. Like I'm behind the scenes, right? The priest is getting, they are wild, right? And so he'll say, um, he'll say this, uh, verse four, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the residents of Jerusalem. Very clear. I will cut off, uh, every vestige of Baal. Baal is a pagan, uh, fertility God from, uh, um, the Canaanite region from this place. The names of the pagan, hear this priests, what along with the priests, those who bow and worship on the rooftops to the stars in the sky, those who bow and pledge loyalty to the Lord, but also pledge loyalty to Milcom. <laughs> what? So what is he saying? He's saying this, listen, the priests are supposed to be the most godly people in the society. Go read the book of Leviticus to see the qualifications for what it was to be a priest. Um, and you see that even they are corrupt. So this joint is, is from the top down. Now, he says that they pledge loyalty to the Lord, to God, and to Milcom. Hmm. So Milcom is a pagan god. So what he's saying is this, is that um, there is idolatry rampant among the people of God, and that's why he's angry. He alone is worthy and deserves all of our worship. And Milcom is another guy, a pagan guy. And so what he's saying is this, he said, no, no, y'all trying to like two-time me, fam, basically. Like y'all trying to cheat, y'all trying to two-time, y'all trying, trying to uh worship me and Milcom. So idolatry, the sneakiest form of idolatry, I want to say this, this applies to us so much, is syncretism. It's syncretism. It's, it's trying to worship the Lord and something else, right? It's trying to worship the Lord and politics. It's trying to worship the Lord and money. It's trying to worship the Lord and, uh, you know, a relational partner, right? Like it is trying to do both. And God is saying, no, no, you were not made for that, right? In other words, here in this time, the people were mixing biblical religion and pagan religion, right? And this still happens today. I take a little bit of this. I take a new, little bit of new age spirituality. I take a new, uh, a little bit of um, uh, this faith, that faith, and, and mix it with Christianity and it's all good. And God is like, no, that is the epitome of idolatry. You have made a God in your own image, right? And this angered the Lord and it does now. And the rest of the chapter is going to speak about the day of the Lord. Now, in this book, he uses the term the day of the Lord or the day on that day. He uses those that kind of, of language more than 20 times, 20 times. So he's clear about this coming day. He says that day is a day of wrath, verse 15, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and total darkness. Listen, God's wrath is coming and he is too holy to look upon such sin and idolatry in his land and it's crazy because 
he's saying like at the end of the day, y'all have no resources to stop it from coming. Right. The silver and the gold will be unable to rescue them on the day of the Lord's wrath. We have no uh, resources like there's nothing. There's no amount of money I can pay. There's no amount of things I can amass to stop this from coming. I need an intervention intervention of the grace of God. Zephaniah 2 comes and I love it because it's like, oh, Lord, Lord, have mercy. And you turn to uh, Zephaniah 2, 1. And the Lord has mercy. He says, uh, gather um, yourselves together, gather um, together, uh, undesirable nation before the decree takes effect and the day passes like chaff before the burning of the Lord's anger overtakes you before the day of the Lord's anger overtakes you. Listen, seek the Lord. <laughs> All you humble of the earth who carry out what he commands, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be concealed on the day of the Lord's anger listen this quick call to repentance in uh zephaniah 2 1 through 3 is is showing us listen that god always throws us a life raft before he lets anyone drown in the sea of his wrath right he always throws us a life raft before anyone drowns in the sea of his wrath every single time you can count in it take you can count on it take it to the bank the thing judah has to do is seek him humble themselves repent it is simple right but not easy. Listen, in typical prophetic fashion, Ze Zephaniah is going to uh, give a plea to repentance. And then he turns his prophetic mouthpiece towards the nations. He makes this declarations uh, against the nations after this. So he's like, yo, um, at the end of the day, like, no, 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 it's for the nations can get it too, right? And one thing that the people of God in this life do not have to worry about, we have to worry about a lot of stuff, but we don't have to worry about this right here is that God would be unjust, that God would be unfair, that God would be impartial. Look what he says. He says, Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Ekron, Cushites, Ammonites, Moabites, Assyria, Hona, everybody. And God is like, just guess what? Y'all can get it too, right? Y'all can get it too. My judgment is coming upon you too. Why? Look at verse 10. This is what they get for their pride because they have taunted and acted arrogantly against the people of the Lord's armies. In other words, God's wrath and justice on the nations is a means of taking vengeance for his people, right? God so deeply identifies with the pain of his people that to hurt them is to do something to him. To hurt them is to do something to him. And I want you to know today that this same God who you hear is like, I don't know, the day of the Lord's wrath is coming, I'm, revert, I'm, I'm undoing creation, is the same one who's saying, like, I have the power. And I have the empathy and the compassion for my people that to do something to them is to do something to me. Right. You got a problem. You got a problem with them. You got a problem with me. He makes the pain of the people of God his own. Right. You mess with them. You mess with him. And I love it because he's clear about that in this text. Zephaniah three, last chapter of this short book. The short book is kind of good. Um, it's actually really good. Um, first eight verses, chapter three. He goes back in on Jerusalem. So he goes uh, through all the nations and he comes back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is really jacked up, man. And um, there's this focus. Why? On, on who? Uh, Judah's royal house. Right. Why? Because my man Zephaniah was in the royal house um, and the priests and the kings and all the leaders. Right. In the communities that have led the people down the wrong path. Right. Of injustice and idolatry. Remember, they go hand in hand in the Bible. In verses six to seven, God is like, listen. Y'all don't learn y'all's lesson. I love this right here. He says, um, in uh, six and seven, he says, uh, look at seven. He says, I thought 
you will certainly fear me and accept correction. Then her dwelling place would not be cut off based on what I had allocated, uh, all that I had allocated to her. However, they became more corrupt in their actions. In other words, uh, in verses six and seven, what the Lord is going to say is that I've already extended my judgment to Israel. So remember, the northern kingdom of Israel uh, was, was taken into captivity in 722 BC, right? And he's talking to the southern kingdom who was still in the land at this time. So Israel and Judah were the same family, the same people, but they were split up, right? And so they had already gone into judgment. And he's like, yo, like you didn't learn, right? Like y'all got to see it up close and personal. What happened to the northern kingdom because of their idolatry? And y'all seen it. And guess what? Y'all didn't see it and do better. Y'all seen it and actually did worse. <laughs> like y'all were actually worse, right? And um, and it's been said that um, you know, experience is not the best teacher. Uh, um, you know, someone else's experience is the best teacher, right? Because you get to learn the same lesson without paying the same price. And um, they didn't learn the lesson here, right? They they seen their other sibling get in trouble, get disciplined for something they shouldn't have done, and they go out and do something similar, but to even to an even uh, greater degree. And yeah, God is clear that it's not gonna be good. But God, <laughs> uh, God in His mercy always comes through and brings and leaves off with a declaration of hope. Man, it's just amazing, man. Like. As, as deep as um, the justice of God is, as deep as the holiness of God is, as his uh, eternal displeasure with sin is, his love, man, his love, his love, his love is ferocious. His love is ferocious and it's deep. And he always does this, man. Like in the prophets, we think the prophets, man, we, they got to be balanced, bro. Like at the end of the day, uh, they give oracles of judgment, but they always give oracles of restoration. Look what he says. He says, for I will then restore pure speech to the peoples so that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him with a single purpose. Real quick. I could go all day on this. Um, verse nine is uh, saying that the peoples of the Lord. So he's saying uh, the nations. That's a that's another way of talking about the the other nations outside of Israel, the the, the literally the world. And and what happened with in Genesis um chapter eleven was that God sent the nations into exile. Remember what Genesis chapter eleven, the Tower of Babel, when the people of the Lord tried to come together and um uh, storm the gates of heaven, and the Lord confused their language. Hmm. He confused their language, and he sent them out. He sent them out from among him, and you see that uh. Here, he's going to restore that pure speech. You see it? Pure speech to the peoples. So, in other words, he's going to, um, in the same way he kind of reversed creation in Genesis uh, or in Zephaniah 1, he's now going to reverse the Tower of Babel uh, from, from Genesis 11 here in Zephaniah 3.9. This is part of his restoration where we're all going to speak the same language. We're all going to call on the name of the Lord. That's what he means, right? It's not literally that we're all going to be like uh, speaking English, but he's saying we all going to have be united in the same tongue of speaking, of calling on the name of the Lord. And that's what we're going to do in all of eternity. We're going to serve him with a single purpose he says i will leave a meek and humble people among you and they will take refuge in the name of the lord the king of israel that's yahweh the lord is among you you need no longer fear harm the lord your god is among you a warrior who saves he will rejoice over you with gladness he will be quiet in his love he will delight in you with singing listen the lord is going to gather his people from the exile restore them and bring them back so that they may worship him. If you remember in the Exodus, the reason he brought them out, he says, yo, Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. Why? So that they may worship me. Listen, he wants to be worshiped by his people and he's worshiped by his people when his people are redeemed, when they're set free, when they're made 
new. And in listen, at the end of the day, we have to look and remember that God desires to be with us. God doesn't just want something for us. He wants to be with us. This is why we call him Emmanuel. And God is like, no, no. At the end of the day, the reason I created the universe, the reason I redeem the entire universe is so that I could dwell with my people and we could live together face to face in, in this eternal uh, beatific, blessed uh, existence with one another that surpasses all of our greatest hopes. Let's pray and pray that the Lord will cultivate in our hearts and in our minds a longing for that day. God, we ask for your grace. We ask for your mercy right now that you would give us a vision of what you have for us in the end. And I pray that that would change how we live today and right now. That's in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen.